The Mishnahis continue to talk about different things that might have been missed out or not carried out correctly as they should have been within the procedure of burning and slaughtering the para aduma. If they burnt the para aduma outside of its pit, the reason why the area that the para aduma was burnt on is called the pit is because although it was raised on top of the arrangement of wood surrounding that area, there was wood that was slightly higher up, and therefore in relation to the immediately surrounding part of that arrangement of wood, the cow was a little bit lower, sort of as if it's inside of a pit. Be it as it may, the main point of the Mishnah is that it wasn't burnt in the correct place, and the important part of this is that the place it is burnt must be in a direct line with the entrance of the Beis Hamikdash building, the Heichal. Just like the Torah says explicitly that the blood of the Paraduma needs to be sprinkled in the direction of the entrance of the Beis Hamikdash building, it is learnt from a comparison in the Pesukim that the burning of the Paraduma also needs to be done within a direct sight, a direct line of that entrance of the Heichal the Beis HaMikdash building, or if they burnt the Paraduma on two different pits, meaning they cut the Paraduma in half and they burnt those two halves totally separately, or if they burnt two Paradumas in the same area. By burning two Paradumas at the same time, that means that one is not fully focused on either one. We're going to learn shortly that whilst performing any service of the Paraduma, one is not able to have any other intention or focus on anything else. And if he is burning two different Paradumas at the same time, that means that in regards to each one, he is focused on something else in addition, and that would invalidate each of the two Paradumas. So in all of these cases, Pesula, the Paraduma procedure would be totally invalidated. If he sprinkled the blood, but he didn't direct it towards the entrance of the Beis HaMikdash building, it would also be invalidated, he has not fulfilled that part of the procedure correctly, and that would invalidate the entire Paraduma. Now the Mishnah discusses a very interesting point. The Koyen needs to sprinkle the blood of the Paraduma seven times in the direction of the Beis HaMikdash building. And strictly speaking, he's not required to count the sprinklings out loud. He just needs to make sure that he does it seven times. But in a case where he does decide to count it out loud, and then he mixes up the counting, then it could possibly invalidate the sprinkling, because by declaring a sprinkling to be a particular number, then it's considered to be that, which means that if it is in the wrong order, then it would become invalid. As the Mishnah explains, his Omishishas Shavias, if he reached the sixth sprinkling and he counted it as the seventh one, and then when he sprinkled it a seventh time, Chazar V'Hizah Shavias, he went and sprinkled it and counted it as the seventh one again. Pesula, it is invalidated, because the sixth sprinkling was done in the wrong order, he counted it as the seventh one, which means that the seventh sprinkling essentially came as the sixth one, so already at that point it would be invalidated. However, if he reached the seventh sprinkling, Mishavius Sheminis, and he called the seventh one the eighth one. So he counted one, two, three, four, five, six, eight. If you think about it, counting it as the eighth is totally irrelevant because there is no eighth sprinkling, so it's as if he didn't say anything. What he said doesn't apply. There's no such thing as an eighth sprinkling, so it's as if he counted up to six, and then the final sprinkling, he didn't count. Okay, but that's all right, because anyway, there's no requirement to count out loud. 
The only problem is if he does it in the wrong order. Over here it's considered to be as if he didn't count the last one, so we consider it to be the seventh. And even if then he sprinkled it another time and counted it as the eighth again, what he does after that is irrelevant because he has already completed the seven sprinklings and therefore Kashira it would be valid. Mishnah Gimel, this Mishnah lists a number of things that were described in the previous parak, the previous chapter, as how the Paraduma should be burnt. But that was the ideal way that it should be burnt and the procedure should be carried out. But the Mishnah is going to show that not always does that invalidate the procedure if it is not done in the exact way that the Mishnah described. Sarofa Shalobah eats him if they burnt the cow without wood, they just set fire to the body of the cow itself. Obakol eats him, or they used any other type of wood other than, than the four types that were described in the previous parak, the previous chapter. Afilubakash Obikvova, even if they use straw or stubble, things like twigs, kashera, the procedure would still be valid. The Torah itself does not write explicitly anywhere that it needs to be done with wood, that's just the manner that is preferable. The Torah just says that it should be burnt. If shita, the nitcha, if he stripped the skin off of the cow before burning it, or he cut it into lots of pieces, and then he burnt all of it together, as long as he burns all of it together, as opposed to in two separate groups, kashira, it is valid. However, that being said, ideally it should be burnt all as one. Now the Mishnah talks about laws that apply to regular korbanis, regular sacrifices which are offered up and burnt on the Mizbeach in the Beis HaMikdash, and how they apply over here. If somebody has an intention with regards to carrying out one of the future services of that particular korban, or the eating of that particular korban, but his intention is to perform that part of the service, or to eat it, beyond the time limit... This is an example of an intention with regards to something that is done with the carbon. Another service is done with it, it is eaten. If with regards to something like that, he has an invalidating intention, he intends to eat it beyond its time limit, that would invalidate the carbon. However, if he has that invalidating intention with regards to something that is not regular anyway, for example, a carbon that is not eaten at all, it's totally burnt on the Mizbeach, if he has the intention to eat part of that carbon beyond the time limit that the carbon needs to be left for, that would not invalidate the carbon because anyway the carbon is not eaten. So any intention with regards to the eating of that carbon is also totally irrelevant and we can ignore it. If he has the intention to burn the carbon beyond the time limit, so then it would invalidate the carbon. So the mission shows how that applies to a paraduma. Shachota almanas lechon besara, if he slaughtered the carb the, the paraduma, the cow, with the condition that he will eat the flesh, he'll eat the meat of that animal, velishtois medoma, or that he will drink the blood of that animal. So these are two things that are not supposed to be done with the part with the cow at all. And therefore, any intention with regards to those actions is also irrelevant and can be ignored, and therefore, kashera, the cow will remain valid. However, if, for example, they would have the intention to sprinkle the blood of the paraduma the next day, the blood needs to be sprinkled on the, on the same day that it, the cow is slaughtered. So since the sprinkling of the blood is something that is done with the cow, an intention to perform that part of the service in the wrong way or beyond its time limit, that would invalidate the carbon. According to the first opinion of the Mishnah, however, Eliezer Omer Eliezer says, just like he ruled at the beginning of this parak, that although the Torah does call a para aduma a chatos, 
And because of that, there are many laws that are learnt from Karbanai. So at the end of the day, it is not considered to be a Karban. It's not a sacrifice because it's all of its procedures done outside of the Beis HaMikdash. And therefore, one's intention will never invalidate the Parah Aduma because that law only applies to Karbanais, to sacrifices, and the Parah Aduma, strictly speaking, is not considered to be a Karban, a sacrifice. Mishnah Dalad, one of the very unique aspects of the procedure of the Parah Aduma is that although the purpose of the Parah Aduma and burning it into ashes and mixing it with the water that came from the spring is in order to purify people from the most severe level of impurity when they became Tommy from a dead body, the Torah rules that anybody who is involved in the procedure of creating the Parah Aduma and its ashes, they actually become Tomei. And the Mishnah says, who does that apply to? Anybody who is involved in the procedure of the Parah Aduma, from the beginning until the end of the procedure, they become Tomei to the extent that their clothes also become Tomei. The Torah rules that both they and their clothes become Tomei. And this applies to anybody who is involved in the procedure from the time that the cow is slaughtered until it has been turned into ashes, and then the ashes are collected and added to the water. As well as that, the Torah rules that if the person who is performing one of the services involved in this procedure, if he is concentrated on anything else at the same time, he performs any other task, any other action at the same time as he is performing part of this procedure of the Parah Aduma, then it would invalidate the Parah Aduma. And the Mishnah says, well, they would invalidate the Parah Aduma by performing any other task, again, from the time that the cow is slaughtered until it has been turned into ash. As soon as it's been turned into ash, the invalidation caused by somebody performing a different task no longer applies. Although when the person gathers the ash, that person will become Tomei. So that's one difference to how long exactly these laws apply. That last stage where the ashes are collected and added to the water, the one who does that will become Tomei, although if he is involved in a different task, it would not invalidate the Parah Aduma. If an invalidation occurred in the slaughtering of the cow, this is the very first service of the procedure of the Parah Aduma, and if that was invalid, that means that no services were really performed with this Parah Aduma, and therefore Enam Tamim Begodim, the one who performed that action, will not become Tomei, and his clothes obviously won't become Tomei, and if anybody did any of the further procedures, and they only later on found out that the slaughtering was invalidated, they also would not become Tomei, because none of these services are relevant at all, to the extent that the very first service of slaughtering was not done correctly. If an invalidation occurred in the sprinkling of the blood of the Parah Aduma, we don't say that retroactively it emerged that none of the service was considered to be part of the procedure of the Parah Aduma. The slaughtering was an action done as part of the procedure of the Parah Aduma. It wasn't yet invalidated, so it was considered to be the slaughtering of a Parah Aduma. And therefore, anybody who was involved in the procedure of the Parah Aduma before it became invalidated, he and his clothes will become Tomei. But anybody who was involved in the procedure after it became invalidated, and likewise the one who did that action that was invalid, so they didn't perform a service of the Parah Aduma because their paradigm was already invalidated, or this particular action wasn't done correctly, and therefore, in a time they would not become Tomei with their clothes.
And the Mishnah notes that Nimtzachumra Kula, it emerges that the stringency that exists in the Paraduma, that even small things can invalidate the Paraduma, that actually ends up being a leniency to a certain extent, because by the Paraduma becoming invalidated, that also means that the one who performed the service will not become Tomei, so in a certain sense, it's a leniency for him. The Mishnah now lists five things that apply to the Paraduma until the stage that it turns into ash. Me'ila applies to the Paraduma. Me'ila in general refers to when one benefits from an item that has been designated to the Beis HaMikdash. If one uses that item for his own benefit, then he is obligated to pay the item's value plus a quarter to the Beis HaMikdash. He also is obligated to bring a carbon, and the Mishnah teaches that the same applies to one who benefits from a Paraduma for his own use. And this applies specifically until the stage of the Paraduma has been turned into ashes. It's learned from Psukim that once it's been turned into ashes, Me'ilon no longer applies. Secondly, Umrabin lo Eitzim, it is permitted to add more wood to the fire for it to burn, even though the wood will be turned into ashes and be mixed with the ashes of the cow itself, which means that ultimately the solution of the water with the ashes, it won't only be made up of ashes of the cow, it will also contain ashes of the wood. That is not a problem, as long as it's the wood that was burnt together with the cow. But once the cow has been turned into ashes, if then more wood is added, that means that that wood was burnt after the cow was already turned into ashes. And that wood is problematic if it is added to the rest of the ashes. So they can only add wood to the fire as long as the cow has not been fully turned into ashes. Thirdly, all of these actions and the services in this procedure until it is turned into ash must be performed during the daytime. The collecting of the water and the collecting of the ashes once it's been turned into ashes, that can be done at night. Fourthly, all of these things must be performed by a koyen. And again, this is unlike the filling up of the water, the collecting of the water, that, strictly speaking, does not need to be done by a koyen. The truth is, even the actual purification process of sprinkling the solution onto a person who is impure, even that doesn't need to be done by a koyen. Only the parts of the procedure of making the ashes, so from the time of the slaughtering of the cow until it's been turned into ashes, that needs to be performed by a koyen. And finally, number five, hamalochopiselisbar, performing any other task, any other action whilst involved in a service or taking care of the cow, that would invalidate the Paraduma, Ajati Ose Efer. All of these apply until the cow has been turned fully into ashes. The Hamalacha Bamayim, performing a different task, would invalidate the water that was collected from the spring, if whilst collecting the water he was involved in something else, that would invalidate it, and performing any other task until the ashes are added to the water would also invalidate the water. So even the one who is watching over the water cannot do anything else whilst he is looking after the water. This peric, this chapter, talks about which items, which utensils can be used for filling up the water which is used as the, for, for the solution of the Paraduma ashes. Obviously, it needs to be a pure utensil. And interestingly, although in general, a Amha'aret, who is somebody who is ignorant in terms of the laws of impurity, usually he is presumed to be impure, there are certain leniencies that we find specifically with regards to a para aduma. 
that we are more lenient with regards to an Amha Oretz when it comes to a Parat Duma. And the reason for this is because the Chachomim were concerned that if the ignorant people see that we suspect them with regards to the Parat Duma, they might end up getting together and creating a Parat Duma of their own. And that would cause a widespread level of impurity and a false purification process. And in order to avoid that, the Chachomim trusted the ignorant people more with regards to a Parat Aduma than they did with regards to regular impurity laws. Hamevi Klicheres Lachatos, one who brings a earthenware utensil and he wants to use that for the sake of a Parat Aduma, to fill up the water using that utensil. And he buys it from an Amharetz. The reason why the Mishnah specifies that it is made out of earthenware is because if it was made out of a different material, so it can just be purified, put it in the mikveh, and it will be pure. However, a earthenware utensil, once it becomes tome, it cannot be purified unless it's broken. So the only problem that we run into is in a case where it is made out of earthenware. The Mishnah says that if that would, if, if one wants to use an earthenware utensil, then According to the first opinion of the Mishnah, it must be that it was never able to become Tomei. So even if it was made by an Amharet, that's not necessarily a problem, because a item can only become Tomei once it's considered to be completed. So as long as we can make sure that the Amharet, the ignorant person who is generally presumed to be impure, didn't touch the item after it was completed, so then it can be used. The Mishnah says, Toivel, the one who is going to transport and take this utensil, he needs to go to the mikveh with the specific intent that he wants to be pure for the sake of the Parat Duma. The Lon ala Kivshon, which literally means he should sleep next to the kiln where the earthenware, the, the, the clay is turning into hard earthenware. That is to say, he needs to watch the kiln all of the time from the moment that the clay has been placed into it to ensure that the Amharetz won't touch the utensil that is inside of the kiln. And then once it's ready, he will take it out of the kiln. It's only from that point onwards that it is able to become Tomei, and, and the Amharetz never touched it from that point onwards. So the first opinion of the Mishnah is strict. However, Yehuda, Omer Yehuda says that we are more lenient for the reason that we described, and therefore Afmin Habayis, who may be, he's even able to bring the item from the house where the Amharetz lives, Vakashan, it would be valid as long as we ask the Amharetz and he denies touching it after it was taken out of the kiln. Because according to Yehuda, everybody, even ignorant people, are trusted with regards to the purity of a Paraduma, things that are going to be used for the Paraduma procedure. An additional reason is also because since it is so strict and severe, therefore even ignorant people would be more careful and particular not to cause impurity to be involved with such a procedure. Uber truma, on the other hand, with regards to truma, which is the food that is given to a koyen, and only a koyen is allowed to eat it, and the law is that if such food becomes tomei, it needs to be burnt. So the mission says, Peser es a person who is pure, he can open up the kiln which belongs to the Amharet and take the utensil even if he wasn't there from the very moment that it was placed into the kiln, so there's a chance that the Amharetz did touch it. Nevertheless, as long as there are certain signs that imply that the Amharetz hasn't touched it, for example, they would generally put some earth on top of the clay which was being put into the kiln. So if you can see that the earth or the dust which was placed on it has been moved about, 
has fingerprints, then he would know that he has touched it. But if it is still there, he can assume that it, the Amoritz didn't touch it. It doesn't have to literally be there the entire time, like he needs to be for a Paraduma. Rabbi Shimon and Rabbi Shimon says that's not enough. When Hasele rather he can only take from the second row of items inside the kiln. And Rabbi Yais and Rabbi Yais says when Hasele only from the third row inwards is he allowed to take, because only then can he assume that they haven't been touched by the Amaharet since he placed them inside.